Welcome in everyone to episode 143 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian. Back from vacation this week, we got Matt and David with us. Uh, we're going to go over the Red Sox firing Heim Bloom, uh, the whole Shohei Otani saga that unfolded this week, uh, a look inside the Padres dysfunction, and a couple of other items we'll uh, we'll sum up here. But before we get to that, David, how are you doing this week? Doing good. It's uh, it's my girlfriend's birthday, so happy birthday to Gina. I uh, spent the whole weekend with her, so I haven't been too up to date with anything. The one Cubs game I actually did get to watch, the one baseball game, was a 13-inning marathon that the Cubs should have won four times, didn't, and lost. So I- I'm all baseballed out. <laughs> but I'm ready for some exciting, an exciting weekend of college football coming up, and uh, you know, and been you know doing other stuff this week. But uh, how you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. Um, I uh, had a a good uh, good last week. I got to see my team clinch the division, and then I got to see them have their like hangover for that ex- was extended for like four days. So uh, that's been that was interesting. But um, but yeah, everything's been good. I went went to a football game on Saturday, and that was fun. And uh, yeah, um, looking forward to this week and the following week. The wild card races are absolutely insane. And um, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, how are you doing, Damien? How was your vacation? Uh, it was fantastic. Um, Bristol, Tennessee, is unlike any other. Um, and the racetrack, it was a lot of fun there. First time ever going. Obviously, seeing Dale Junior lead laps at Bristol under the lights. There's nothing that's ever going to top that, I don't think. But I also too this week got to see my team clinch the division. So. Uh, you know, on vacation, watched some good racing, saw Dale Jr. and had my baseball team clinch. I'd say it was a pretty good last week, uh, last week for me, but, um, had some, had some interesting things happen here in the baseball world. Um, and first off, we'll go ahead and, and jump over with the, the Red Sox and their kind of weird timing and kind of rash move. It just seemed really weird altogether, but them firing president of baseball operations, Heim Bloom. Um, in the midst of them having a all right season, I mean, trying, they're still in the wild card race, um, probably out of it, but they're just, it's really weird timing for this and felt like they were just kind of turning it around. What do you guys think? It, I could go either way on it. I think Heim Bloom's done a really good job with some things and a not great job with some things. He, he brought in a, he's brought in a, he's done a really good job drafting. And they've developed a really nice farm system uh, in, in Boston. Um, you know, you got like Marcelo Mayer. Um, you've got um, Sedan, Rafaela. Um, you know, you've, you've had several. Brian Bayo has been in that farm system. He's, he's in the majors now, but he's he's come out of the farm system recently. Tristan Casas was a big prospect that's come out of their farm system recently. So they've done a really good job of, of drafting and, and developing homegrown guys, trying to build a core there. Um, I think that he's largely missed on some of his free agent signings he's made like the two big ones being trevor story who has been injured a lot and there's some red flags with him coming out of cores and he hadn't performed very well in in boston so far and they signed him to a pretty big contract and also masataka yoshida started off really well this year but he's not really been worth that contract they gave him. I think he's he's got a chance to still be good, and, and I don't think either one of those guys are totally worth giving up on. But Masataka Yoshida looks like a DH only with limited power. So it's one of those things where I, th- I think a couple of those moves, and you know, and that was kind of also a, a, as 
you know, as they've signed some veteran relievers and they probably could have kept a couple of their pieces. I know that the Betts trade was something that was for sure going to happen and they kind of brought him in to do that, which I don't think you can blame him for that one, but, um, and I think he got a good return in the Betts trade too for, for the one year he, he got a, a guy who's been a useful major leaguer, but I, I just think, um, I think some of the moves they've made have been, I don't know, did he sign the sale extension too? Do y'all know? Um, I don't know. I'll look it up while you keep yeah. talking. But he, it, it's been interesting. I mean, I, I could go either way. I probably would have kept him around because I do feel like their future looks pretty good with their the way that their farm systems come up. And I get the sentiment of the Red Sox have just failed him. They came, it forced them to trade bets as the fall guy, the ownership that is, and they've dropped their payroll down since he's been there. Like I, I get that, but at the same time, it seems like. You know, some of the moves he's made haven't been great either. So I, I definitely think that, um, you know, it's a little unfair to just fire him, you know, but at the same time, like, I don't think he was doing just an incredible job where it was just, I don't think it's one of those things like, like the Astros last year when they fired Click because the ownership was stupid. Like, I think it's more of like, I kind of get it, but at the same time, I probably wouldn't have done it. So we'll see what happens. I do think Chip Bloom will land on his feet somewhere else and uh, potentially be very successful in another, in a different fit. Um, yeah. So just, just covering up one real quick. Um, it does not look like Bloom oh, did it because he was hired in October of 2019 and sales signed that with, I think Dombrowski in, oh, yeah, you know, in March of 2019. Yeah. Dombrowski's done some relief. He's, he's, yeah. he's every everywhere he's been. He's built a really good team for a couple of years, and then it has just absolutely fallen apart. So yeah. I think that uh, you know the sale contract might be an example of that. But yeah, here's actually a video of them at the press conference. So yeah, it was Dombrowski. Yeah. So that that's perfect. That's a perfect lead into my point because Matt's playing. You know, kind of the, the middle of the street there. I I'm not going to do that. I think this is a really dumb move by the Red Sox. I it's not necessarily a reflection of of Heimbloom's like skill as a baseball president. This is a team that is in the middle of rebuilding while remaining competitive. That is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to turn that around and it's especially not easy to turn it around in a division with four teams above 500. Yeah. Right? The Red Sox just fell below 500, but but that that's besides the point. The whole division has been above or at 500 all season long. This this is not a skill a team skillful enough to win this division, but the building blocks are coming into place. We're seeing young guys come up and have success. We're seeing them make you know intelligent moves, with some exceptions like Matt mentioned. But but that's what you have to do to remain competitive while you're trying to build up that core. I I cannot understand. You, you have to give these guys more time, right? You said 2019, like 2020 was a throwaway year for everybody. And it's the the kind of the the open opening of the floodgates to the Mookie Betts deal, right? And, and Bloom has to, had to go in and trade away the most valuable player the Red Sox had, with another you know the second most valuable player the Red Sox had being a free agent and wanting two hundred eighty million dollars to sign elsewhere. So you know he was never going to do that. He he loses a bidding war for Bogarts, and 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 ultimately he gets re- Rafael Devers resigned. That contract looks great. Right, you gotta lock these guys up, especially when they're young superstars. Like Devers just had a really good season too, but you you can't you can't bail on a guy 
at this point, right? The, the Red Sox were not ready this season. This was not a season that we expected for them to be good. We didn't expect them to make the playoffs. I don't think they expected that of themselves, but it's one of those where they had a team that was decent enough that, hey, maybe you could you could screw around and find out that you could, you could do something in this division. Turned out the Orioles were way better than everybody expected. The Rays were way better than everybody expected, and the division ran away from you. The wild card was going to be way higher than everybody expected because of that. So this is not a referendum on time bloom and, and the Red Sox team is on the upswing. It's very clearly on the upswing with a lot of young, talented players coming up and showing successful, you know, stints in the major leagues. I I just, you you have to give these guys, these front offices more time because baseball is such a, a long standing sport. There's a lot of change that happens I I can't understand uprooting, especially at the front of your of your baseball operations group, uprooting that guy at this point, especially at this point in the season when it's it's one of those seasons where they probably could have been a team that was 20 games below 500, and they've been able to, to hang at and around 500 all year. Very very odd, and I I don't yeah. like this move. I think it takes them a step back going into next year. Like what front offices, you know. He, you have to you have to hire your front office before you can sign players and you know that front office is going to have different plans i am curious a little bit as to whether or not they have somebody in mind because like we mentioned earlier you know maybe james click is somebody that, that they could have in mind as you know the, the direction they want to go like so they might if that happens i think it could work out but like i i don't know i i mean i I, I I agree with you, David. For the most part, I mean, I, I just I kind of get why they they're, they he hadn't been perfect. Obviously, it's kind of what I'm saying. Like it, it's not like this is just guy gets fired after winning World Series because owner doesn't like him. Like like that situation. Like it's kind of I, yeah. It's not, but I, I agree with you for the most part. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah. So there had been some some rumors about uh, maybe the former GM Mike Hazen getting kind of a another reunion there in Boston that could be another thing but you know just as far as like what Bloom had to go through like they brought him in to be the fall guy to trade Mookie bets right away that was his literally his first order of business uh-huh. and he came in and they had the highest payroll in the game I think it was 220 something million dollars at the time he had the worst farm system in the league um and you know he was tasked with of the contracts of David Price, Mookie Betts, Chris Sale, Pablo Sandoval. He had all these big time contracts, and he had to try and find a way to navigate getting those players off the team, bringing players in, building the farm system. You look now; they're the 13th ranked payroll. They have the third best farm system per fan graphs um, right now. I don't know what Pipeline says about it, but it just it's up felt- there. It's top ten. Yeah, it just felt like right now was a weird time to do it because it feels like they were like in in like the year three of their five year plan or something like, yeah, it just seemed at the weird time right now. And like at the deadline, I thought he did pretty good, you know, flipping some players, but trying to stay competitive like they got, um, you know, they traded away Kike. Uh, who's the other one they traded? If I don't I don't remember reliever, right? Um, Yeah. It's, it's blanking uh, on me. It's blanking me off the top of my head, but you know, I felt like they got a solid couple pieces there. But you've just saw—I mean, you signed Devers to the extension, you signed Yoshida, you know, you've had Bayo, you've had Cassis, you've had those guys come up and, and show flashes there. Um, you know, Rafaela as well. Like, I just—it just didn't feel like the right time 
right now to do it. I understand they've underperformed probably a little bit for what they expected, what ownership probably expected there, but it just felt like this was a weird, weird time to do it. And especially like we, you know, in our group chat, we were mentioning it when it all happened, but they did this like a couple days after the Mets officially hired David Stearns. And it's like, apparently they had interest in David Stearns. And it's like, well, if you did, then why didn't you do this beforehand and actually try and go get Stearns? Not sure that Stearns was what came there, but, but at the same time, like it's just really, really weird. Or I wonder if like it, they were trying to for Stearns anyways, and then that kind of didn't happen. And then they were like, well, we're already too far down this road. So we just got to let Heim go now too. I don't know. It's just a very weird scenario all the way around, but they're going to be one of the more coveted jobs because they have a good farm system. The ownership's usually willing to willing to pay. Like, we'll well, see also willing, they're also willing to throw the front office guys under the bus. So, um, well, that's, that, that may that may hinder that. I, I want to lead into the next thing by also noting that there was a rumor this week that Shohei Otani might have interest in going to Boston. But you know, now that you've shattered the kind of glass behind the front office over there that creates a lot of uncertainty and, and you may have also cost yourself an opportunity at being the front runner for Shohei Otani. So big question marks over there. Um, so we'll use that as the segue into it. Uh, what night was that? Was that Friday night? I think that the whole locker yep. or was it yep. Thursday? It was, it was Thursday. Cause I was not paying attention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Thursday night, there was a report coming out that, Otani had pretty much cleared out his locker at Angel Stadium and he was oh, he was gone from the team. He wasn't going to be there. Um, and then it came out, I think it was Saturday, that he had an oblique injury and he's going to be out for the year now. Um, and then today it was announced that he underwent his elbow surgery. Um, they didn't specify if it was Tommy John surgery or if it was something else, but it was done by Neil Elitrach, which is the big Tommy John surgery um, doctor. Uh, it did say that his plans for 2024 will be full go for hitting. So he should be ready by spring training, but that he won't pitch until 2025, which kind of leads you to believe it was more like the Tommy John surgery, but still just a weird scenario here between the whole like locker clearing out oblique injury. And then now the surgery today out of nowhere. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me very much. Um, because I thought that he, when he got that oblique injury, I figured he was pretty much done for the year because, you know, he could fight through that injury, I think. There was some thought he might come back from it. But, I mean, you already need to get this shoulder, this elbow procedure on a, on a good time frame. So it, we need to – it's just one of those things that's – you know, I, I would – I think that it, the, 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 whole, the whole issue we have is that the Angels, you know, didn't handle this on a PR level very well. Like, they could have announced he's going on the IL – He's done for the year. You know, we think he's, you know, he's going to go back home to Japan and, and start a, and get his surgery and start his recovery. We wish him the best. You know, they could have come out and said something like that. Instead, it just kind of happened overnight. And, um, yeah, nobody knew what, nobody knew what was going on. And, like, there's it, it, definitely a lot of PR issue there. But, um, I mean, I hate to see, I hate to see him out for the year hitting. I mean, obviously, we like watching Shohei hit, and um, you know, I hope that he comes back in 2025. I, I, I think it sounds like they probably would have just come out and said he got Tommy John surgery if he got Tommy John surgery. My assumption is that he probably got some kind of bracing procedure type thing. Uh, 
but and that they're going to try to rehab it because I think the second Tommy John surgery it might not be ready until the be- until the middle of 2025 if he if he had to get a, a full blown Tommy John. So I don't know what they what they ended up doing there, but um, you know that that's not particularly surprising that he's not pitching next year. Yeah, it's it's not, but I, I guess what we can kind of mention now is free agent sweepstakes are gonna they're gonna start up, right? I mean, that's gonna hit right as the season ends. Uh, I think Shohei Otani is gonna be the biggest free agent, even regardless of the the injuries, both to his oblique and to his elbow. He's gonna be the biggest free agent to to sign a, a free agent major league baseball contract. Current records, Aaron Judge's three sixty. Uh, so I think he's gonna get a total guarantee more than that. Um, and he's going to get a lot of incentives to, towards pitching, I think, to to boost that number up. We're going to see probably the maybe the richest contract in sports history. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch because it's a it's a major thing. But how often does the best baseball player on the planet come onto free agency? Not a lot. So, uh, you know, I, I do hope that Shohei can stay healthy. It's obviously concerning that he's going to he kind of always has these lingering issues. Not always, but he ha- he ends up having these lingering issues, and it's how long can he do this? How long can he do this at this level? You know, we'll see, but uh, ultimately, his, his, his tenure with the Angels ending is bittersweet because he never had many playoff games with the Angels. We've never seen Shohei Otani in the playoffs, and uh, we never saw him play in the playoffs with Mike Trout. But I think Shohei Otani is going to be going to a team that's going to be a perennial contender. I think that's going to be on a priority list of his to go try to win a World Series ring. And uh, I think it kind of makes the list kind of narrow, but um, of teams who are willing to spend and then are also World Series contenders, it's going to be a fairly narrow list. But uh, it should still be interesting because I think ultimately he could decide, you know, that his, you know, priorities are different than than those of Major League, you know, the clubs that we expect, the Yankees, the Dodgers, Red Sox, right? And, and he could go elsewhere, but I, I don't think it's likely because he's going to want to set that record. So we'll, we'll see what happens, you know? It's going to be really, really interesting because the Angels and the Dodgers were the only, like, big market teams that were in on him originally. Like, it was all the West Coast teams and... Yeah, we'll see. I, I I think it's just kind of an unceremonious ending to his Angels career, but that's just it's kind of the Angels mo right now. It's be terrible. Yeah, it's obviously we're gonna have plenty of Shohei Otani talk this off season, but um, like you said, it is an unceremonious end to the way that his Angels career most likely was supposed to um, was supposed to end there. So. Um, but let's go from one dysfunctional franchise to kind of another one. Um, and there was a piece that came out today by Ken Rosenthal and Dustin Lynn of the, I think it's San Diego Tribune. Um, but it came out through the athletic, uh, just kind of talking about the dysfunction of the way that AJ Preller runs the Padres, the dysfunction between him and Bob Melvin, um, and just kind of the, kind of skepticism around the whole organization and the way that they kind of run and do things. And uh, it was really, really fascinating, but it kind of was an AJ Preller hit piece, but it really came down to that. He runs his teams very hands-on and that he doesn't care about what people think um, even inside his own front office. He just makes his own moves whenever he wants to type thing. Yeah. AJ Preller has like the most, 
horrible trade history outside of maybe two moves that I can remember. Like the 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 Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields trade was incredible, and the uh, Juan Soto trade. You know, bringing in Juan Soto is a big you know is a big big win for him. Even if he did, even if we don't know what the return is going to end up being like in the future, that was still big for them because Juan Soto has been really good for them. But I mean, we can go back a long time for issues that that uh that AJ Preller's made. Like he traded Yasmani Grandal for Matt Kemp, at, like back in the day. He traded Max Fried for Justin Upton. Like it's just there were a lot of bad moves that he made um, back in you know back in the day, and he's just kind of continued to to mess things up. He traded Trey Turner for Will Myers. He traded. Um, he traded. Um, he traded. Or he signed Eric Hosmer to a gigantic contract. Like, there's just been so many things that he's done, and and then the thing that really, and, and you know, GMs make bad trades, but he's been caught with some sketchy stuff a few times. Uh, the one of them, he got suspended back several years ago for 30 games for withholding medical, uh, you know, or uh, physical information. Own Drew Pomeranz when they tried to trade him to the Red Sox for Anderson Espinosa. Like, there's been a lot of issues that he is that he's had in his in his um in his tenure there, and and the fact that he's made it this long with all the issues that he's had, and his you know they've made two wild card appearances, and they in in his in his tenure there, which has been like over ten years, it's been like ten years now. Um, I mean. I don't know. It's crazy that he still has a job, and and then this all is coming out today that it's all dysfunctional, and he's not getting along with the manager. And I I just I don't understand. I, I know Peter Seitler likes him, the ownership there, but I, I don't. I just don't understand what the draw to AJ Preller is. The thing about AJ Preller is that he does nail some of the bigger trades, right? He's he's a guy who's willing to go out and do the the thing no one else is willing to do. He he's nailed his free agent. Well, he's not nailed, but he's he's gone out and gotten his guys in free agency too. He's gotten his his players extended. The the problems I see with the moves that have been made are they're short term, and this team was built to win in the short term, right? Z- Xander Bogarts' best years are going to be this year, right? Josh Hader is a free agent after this year. Um, you know, and, and that's I think that's a win trade too. You know, he, he oh, went yeah. out and brought yeah. in Josh Hader and that's that's anchored the back of their bullpen. It's the rest of the bullpen that's been poor. Hader's been good. Um, you know, it's it's he you know, Yohan Soto's a free agent after next year, right? And and he, the, the the moves are there to be made in the short term. Manny Machado's not getting you know, he's got a twelve got a twelve year extension or something, but it's it's one of those things where the, he went ahead and gave these guys money to keep this group around because he felt like this group was the talented group that he that could take him to the playoffs, take him to the World Series. It's it just seems like they haven't played with the urgency that they've needed to, right? They've lost a lot of one run games. They haven't had that, you know, killer instinct that you need in order to be able to win games in this environment. And you know, some of that does reflect on Bob Melvin, the manager, and and Ultimately, I, I, you know, you see the flaws, right? Jay Cronenworth got a huge extension, has not been performing up to that. And that's a big part of why you know, they've given Trent Grisham a lot of leeway in center field. 
he just can't he just doesn't really get the you know the kind of the upside that was kind of there for him in 2020 um you know they, they've got to, they've got to do something different with a number of different positions they you know they, they kind of they bailed on jerks and profile but didn't fill that hole in the outfield you know tatis has been back he's been good but it's just it's not a it's not a lineup that that actively goes out and wins them games right now even though you know they've got one so they've got Fernando tatis jr so you know how much of this is aj preller i don't know but it's a team built to win in the short term and they're not winning. They're not even going to make the playoffs this year, probably. Yeah. So the, apparently there's also, you know, through this stuff that it's most likely that Bob Melvin will probably be gone at the end of this year. Um, and if AJ Preller is still around and gets to hire a new manager, it'll be his sixth manager in 10 seasons that he's hired. Like if that isn't a sign of that, he's probably part of the issue here. I don't know what is like the six managers, like no GM gets to hire six managers, let alone in 10 years with the same team. Like it's just, it, it's very, very weird. I understand Slightly yeah. likes him in that, but like at a certain point, you know, and, and Preller is one that he, he you know, they preach like accountability. You're going to take accountability. I'm the head of it. I need to take, you know, I take responsibility and it's like, well, you, you're not being held accountable yourself in general. Um, and this all kind of comes down to like when they hired like Andy green or whatever, and not even giving Dave Roberts, who was their bench manager at their bench coach at the time, an interview for that. And then he goes in that same year and gets uh, hired by LA. It's like, it's all kind of went downhill from there, but it's just, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm on very much on the AJ Preller. He, he makes some good moves, but Man, the way he runs a lot of his teams, not good. You're you're eventually going to make a couple of good moves if you just make an absolute ton of moves, which is what he does. And eventually, a couple of them are going to look great. But like, if you're going to not have a sustainable, deep, you know, well put together roster, if like two out of your fifty moves are really good, I mean, it, it just doesn't work that way. I mean. That look, I know Austin Nola. They traded uh, Ty France and Andres Munoz, who's the closer now for the Mariners, for Austin Nola, who's been horrible. Like, I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on. I mean, it's it's just wild to me. And then the manager thing, like, I, I don't get it. But hey, you know what, Damian, you could be happy that you're in good <laughs> hands as long as AJ Preller is running the Dod- uh, the Padres. The Dodgers are not going to have a threat from them. Well, I mean, still did knock us out of the playoffs last year. But. Yeah, whatever. and Andrew Friedman, we trust. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to our next bit, and that was that Matt Olson set the franchise record for the most homers in a season by a Brave. I believe it's fifty three now. Or did he hit fifty four? And I missed it. it. Was it was fifty one? He's at fifty two now. Yeah. Oh, I thought he yeah. hit fifty three already. No, he did not. He. Instead, is getting walked with the bases loaded now. Where's, where's, give me the gif of Mike Trout in center field realizing that they just walked somebody with the bases loaded. They didn't do it on purpose, but I know, but that that was still, that's still, I mean, it was Michael, they put Michael Lorenzen into the game, so it basically was on purpose. It was basically a white flag, but yeah. Well, notorious Michael Lorenzen, who just threw a no hitter not that long ago, now been moved to the bullpen. Since the no hitter, he has been absolutely like the worst pitcher in baseball. It's been pretty bad. But oh, not named Adam Wainwright, but we'll talk about him in a minute. (laughs) 
Um, Always here to dump on the Cardinals, I'll tell you that. But <laughs> Matt, Ol- Matt Olson was, uh, if you guys recall, the, my best hitter at the dead or at the all-star break uh the first half and he's only gone and gotten to 52 home runs and set the franchise record he's about to hit 130 rbi which is he did hit actually no he did it he did hit he walked the the bases loaded earlier yep so he's got a two own uh runners on the corners with nobody out at the plate right now too yeah, and this this guy, I mean, he should be on the 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 short list of your MVP candidates. The problem is, it, the, the the guys above him are 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 doing it all, you know, with a little bit better rates. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Matt, Matt Olson's really, you know, he's setting the world on fire, but he's not going to win an MVP unless he gets to 60 home runs. I don't think, and um, even then, it's going to be tough to beat some of the some of the guys, including his teammate. Uh, you know, Ronald Acuna. So, you know, wild that we're looking at a guy with 50 some odd home runs and he's probably not in your top three MVP candidates. Yeah, he's he's definitely top four. And then there's a big gap to the next one. But yeah, I think he might be slightly behind the other three guys. Uh, and, and the main reason for that is just because, you know, he really just brings his bat to the table. Like those other three yeah. guys bring base running and D and well, and Mookie Betts' case defense, but like, right. But Matt Olson is at the plate. It's been awesome. He's got, he's almost, he's got a 990. He actually might be at a, yeah, he's got a 997 OPS this year, like yeah. you know, 161 WRC plus. I mean, it's been incredible. Yeah. He's a, he's a monster at the plate. Yep. And then, you know, a few years ago when he was in Oakland, you know, that swing was very problematic. <laughs> he was striking out a ton. Now he's settled into a nice like twenty three percent strikeout rate. He yeah. he takes his walks and he he absolutely pummels the ball to all fields in the air. I mean, just the, the exact kind of hitter you want to see. And you, you remember the Braves signed him to that extension, and that that extension looks real real good now. Yeah. Uh, even though the only player that's one of the one of the players that's above him is the guy he replaced at first base. Yeah. Um. But you know, Olson, we kind of knew that once he got out of Oakland went to a more hitter friendly ballpark in Atlanta, like that was going to help. And then he's been in this lineup, which is insane. Like, I think they're going to break the, the record for a lot of like team hitting categories. Um, I think the only one that they, the only team hitting category or something that they aren't leading right now is like stolen bases. And I think that's the reds technically, um, which is, it's just insane to think about. Um, so that's that's been a lot big help to Olsen's progression as well. But um, uh, let's go ahead and jump over to talking about the Tampa Bay Rays and that they announced, I believe it was this morning, that they have a new stadium deal for St. Petersburg to stay there. Uh, should be ready for the 2028 season. Uh, this was kind of one of the two looming. I mean, we had our whole Oakland, Las Vegas deal, and then there was this Tampa deal that, you know, maybe they were going to play in Tampa and then, potentially relocate to maybe like Montreal or split seasons. Well, it looks like they're going to be in St. Petersburg for the, for a long, long time. Um, and as Rob Benford said before, this is the, the two stadium deals that we needed to get done before we consider potential expansion. Yeah. Um, I am happy for the Rays that they're going to get, not have to play in the drop anymore. Um, hopefully this new ballpark, although it does sound like it's going to be a stationary dome without it a retractable roof. Yep. Which, it, I mean, you don't need a honest, dome in Florida. Well, to be Just honest, it's like, retractable, you know? I think it all should be retractable, yeah. Yeah. The thing about retractable is if you go look at the 
the the other teams that have retractable like look at Houston and look at the Rangers look at uh, My, in a similar climate in Miami look at those and they don't Arizona. ever open them Arizona they never open those they like, like there's a, they've been open like three or four times a year a couple of them right. the, the ones that flaw like like the Marlins is open like twice a year yeah I mean so I kind of understand not it's I kind of understand it it's not fully worth it it's not like the worst thing you can do but uh, you know, you would like to see them spend the money, but obviously they don't have a lot of money to spend in, in Tampa. So um, I, I think the biggest thing that I don't like about this stadium deal is that it's in St. Pete, where I think a lot of the issue with the Rays attendance, and, and obviously the ballpark's an issue right now, but they have, they've had a major problem with getting to games in St. Pete. The traffic's really bad. It's difficult to get from Tampa to the stadium. And it makes basically like a, a locality, like the Tampa Bay Rays, they're in Tampa, or they're supposed to be in Tampa, and it makes it like an hour drive to get to a game. So I think that's kind of been a really big problem for them in St. Pete, and they're basically, instead of solving that problem with the stadium deal, they're literally just building right next door to the, the Trop. So I don't really like that, but I mean, it's nice for the Rays, they'll get a new stadium, and, and I'm sure it'll probably boost attendance a little bit for a little while, you know? Uh, especially with the fact that their team is good. Um, and, and I don't really see their team being not good for a little while. Um, you know, they they just do such a great job with, you know, piecing it together every single year, it seems like. And, and they've got a lot of, you know, a good farm system, a lot of young players still. Like, it's that that can be said about the Rays just about every single year. But uh, I'm definitely, uh, definitely excited that this is happening because I think that the expansion talk can probably start pretty soon. Uh, now that the the A's and Rays situations are seem to be in control, that's exciting. Yeah, that, I think that's the biggest news out of this. Uh, you know, other than that, you know, the the Rays get a new stadium. That's that's good for for teams not relocating if if at all possible. So uh, you know, it'd be nice. It's nice that a team that has clinched their playoff spot, uh, you know, for this season is not uh, you know out of worry where they're going to play next year. So. Um, you know, this is a really good Rays team, and you know, they're going to be sticking around in Tampa Bay for a long time. It'd be nice to see them, you know, filling out the trop here for the playoffs, and uh, you know, finishing that out because I, I think this is a this is a team that could theoretically win the World Series at this point. Yeah, they they could. They have a shot at it every year. Uh, so let's jump over to our kind of like miscellaneous type items. Um, the Orioles uh, had a couple had a return, and then they had a um, you know a call up this last week. So they called up Heston Kierstad, and they got John Means back for I think he pitched like eight innings last year, um, but he's made two starts for them, looked pretty solid so far. So two big additions to the uh, to the Baltimore Orioles who just clinched their uh, their playoff spot this week. Um, trying to still fight for that division, have a two and a half game lead, I think, as of right now. But um, you know, the it's two big additions for the Orioles here down the stretch. Yeah, uh, pitching wise, if 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 John Means is fully back, that'd be fantastic for them because they really need that that depth right now in their rotation. Um, that's kind of their weakness of their team is rotation. And if he can pitch at a level he was pitching before Tommy John surgery. I could really help them. And, and Heston Kierstad, it's cool to see him get called up. Um, I don't think he'll probably make the postseason roster. He's he's kind of struggled so far in his first, you know, three or four games. But, um, you know, he's got a uh, – he did hit a – he has hit a home run, uh, which is nice, three hits. But he struck out a lot. He hadn't walked yet. Um, 
he's it's good to see him in the big leagues though he had he's had an interesting come up as a guy who you know had his had a lot of injuries weird injury things um for a while and kept him off the field for like i believe he was drafted in 2020 and he did not make his debut in the minors until 2022 and this is an advanced college bat when that happened so um definitely good to see him get a get a shot in the majors and uh yeah we'll see i think that definitely the um the uh, John Means thing could be a big deal potentially if if he's able to if he's able to prove that he's fully healthy. Yeah, and this is a a team that has clinched their playoff spot though they're still fighting for the AL East title. Uh, currently, you know, two game two and a half games up over the Rays uh, with 94 wins. I mean, this is a team hunting 100 wins and hunting the best record in baseball is the Baltimore Orioles and. You know, Aston Kierstad kind of joins a long list of, of players that have called been called up this year, and um, you know, between him, Colton Kowser, and Jordan Westberg, and Grayson Rodriguez, they've had a lot of impact from really young guys who have made their debuts this season. So, um, you know, this is a an organization that's flush with young talent, and I think. You know, this is as much a tryout for potential, you know, trade partners in the offseason as it is an opportunity for Keston Hirst or Heston Kierstad. Um, you know, he he's a good player, but they have a lot of good talent in the outfield. They have a lot of talent at the corners. Uh, this is, you know, ultimately they're going to have too many riches here. They're going to have guys that they're going to need to trade off. And, uh, this is a team that's going to be very potent when it comes to trading, I think, because they have so much talent. This is a, a big piece. And then obviously if John means can even be a, a multi-inning reliever at this point, you know, that's huge for a team that really needs some pitching backup. And, uh, you know, right now I think their best pitchers are like Dean Kramer and Kyle Gibson, and they're still in games every, every day. So, uh, you know, there's something to that because this team is, uh, it's hunting the, it's hunting the Braves for, for best record right now. It's, it's going, they're going crazy. Yeah. And I was gonna say, I looked up John means number so far and it's been not great since he came back. Um, in the minor leagues, he was a little bit off. Um, he did have a 251 ERA and three starts in AAA, but his peripherals are really bad. And, the big leagues, he's pitched 10 innings since his return to the big leagues. He's only got two strikeouts, um, and he has a 636 FIP uh, in his 10 innings, which, I mean, it's small sample size. His velocity seems to be close to what it was in 2022, um, so I don't think his velocity is necessarily way down or anything, but um, we'll see We'll see if he's able to, to, you know, get in a little bit of a – can figure it out before the end of the season and where, where he would be in a postseason option. Yeah, I just think it's a guy who's coming off of that Tommy John surgery, eighteen innings in the last two years. Like, I, I don't, I think, I he'll agree. Be, I think he'll be pretty fine. Um, you know, and it, it's just big for the Orioles to get a guy like Means back, even as a clubhouse guy. Like, he's he means a lot to that team. Um, and with the pitching stuff, uh, you know, if they could get anything from him, I think it'd be pretty good. He and Cedric Mullins have been around since that kind of rebuild was kind of completed. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, those guys are those guys are ten year guys. They yep. they've got a lot of status in that group. And Santander too. Can't forget him. Yeah, him too. Yep. Yep. Um. So next up, we had a couple guys that we talked about at the that waiver kind of deadline that got put on waivers, claimed by other teams. Um. Two of them have been moved again. Um, with the Marlins claiming Matt Moore off of waivers from the uh, Cleveland Guardians 
and then the Reds DFA in Hunter Renfro. Harrison uh, Bader got hurt too, by the way. I, I don't know if we mentioned that, but he he went on the IL, I believe, or at least he went down. But he he's been out for a bit too. Yeah, I um, the the Matt Moore thing, I I get the you know the obviously the Guardians put him on waivers because they're completely out of it now, and uh, the he's still a, I mean he's a that fine reliever, so the Marlins grabbed him because they said well. You know, we still, I mean, we were right in the mix of it. We're right in the fight. We need to get somebody, do every possible move we can to, to, to try to make the playoffs. And, and Matt Moore was just sitting there. And while he can't be on the postseason roster, you you know, he can help you get to the postseason, which is the, the case that they're in. And with the Hunter Info thing, I think that was kind of weird. I mean, I, you know, because they're still right there in it too. They're tied for the last wild card spot right now. And, I mean, he only played. He played 14 games there. He his numbers were bad, but he had a 154 batting average on balls in play. And nothing really jumped out as oh, this guy sucks, you know. Other than just his overall slash line, like his his numbers were kind of right in line with what they've been in the in the you know his other stops. So I don't know why they decided that already to DFA him. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what the corresponding move to it was. So maybe they wanted to call somebody up or something, but I thought that was kind of weird, but, uh, but yeah, uh, definitely a couple interesting moves there. Yeah. And you know, the, weird because, go right. ahead, Damien. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's just, it's just weird because Renfro is a guy who he can go on a tear at any time. Yeah. And he'll be good for two or three weeks. And if you never know when that can be, he could catch lightning in a bottle, you know, these next two weeks right here and help you make that playoff push. So it is incredibly, incredibly weird that they just did this right now. I'm looking up, trying to look up the corresponding move, by the way. So go ahead, David. Yeah, no, the, you know, this is ultimately the Reds claim him and Bader and neither of them have really done a ton for the, for the Reds, obviously with the DFA. Ultimately, I think the biggest and most impactful move here is that the Marlins grab Matt Moore to come out of the bullpen, potentially save some of the bullets from, um, you know, Brazoban and uh, some of the other Tanner Scott, some of the guys out of that bullpen uh, that have definitely been taxed because that's a team that plays a lot of close games, uh, does the Marlins, but they always seem to find a way to get it done. Uh, and that's kind of why they're in the position that they are, you know, climbing up there, I think a half game out right now after losing yesterday uh, behind the Cubs. So, you know, it's, it's a dog fight right now for that last wild card spot, but the Marlins just picked up some added, you know, ammunition to help out it's not a it's not good news for the cubs giants reds everybody they're fighting with uh so the corresponding move was activating stuart fairchild from the COVID 19 injury list yeah. ah yes uh, fairchild who has a 223 average this year 322 on base and an 87 wrc plus um yeah, I don't, that I don't, was I, the corresponding move i don't get that one at all but yeah that one is uh you know, also speaking on the Reds as well in this whole weird situation, they've lost Graham Ashcraft for the rest of the year as well. He had a stress reaction in his toe, uh, had to go undergo season-ending surgery, I believe, today as well, uh, today or yesterday. So that's just another thing. Like he got transferred to the 60-day IL, so you didn't even need to for the roster. I don't, I don't know. But anyways, losing Graham Ashcraft, who I know he hasn't been great this year, but he does have some good stuff. And once again, they're in that kind of wild card battle there um so losing another one of their starters kind of hurts but 
Uh, so let's stay in the NL Central here and go to another milestone that we had, and that was that Adam Wainwright finally picked up his 200th career win, uh, ties him for 118th all time. Uh, you know, he's had a really, really bad season trying to chase this 200 win milestone, uh, but looked pretty good last night against Milwaukee and finally got it done. Yeah, good on the Cardinals for, um, you know, just after they've been out of it. I mean, obviously, if they were still in the race, then, you know, they would have had to have DFA'd him or something or Phantom IL'd him again or something like that. But uh, good on them for just letting him, you know, do this. He's been a lot to their organization. So, um, you know, and he actually had to pitch. I think he had to pitch really well to get that last win. I think it was. It was a one nothing like game. Yeah, I was gonna say it was a one nothing game, and he pitched like seven innings. So yep. that was a very, uh, very cool, um, cool thing for Adam Wainwright. And he does seem like a really good guy, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for him because this has not been a good year at all. And I know that he's he has sounded just defeated when he's pitched and then interviewed afterwards. So it's it's good it's good to see him because for a while there it was looking like this might not happen, and uh, it's good to see him be able to get it done. Adam Wainwright's going to be one of those classic, uh, you know, longevity Hall of Fame cases, right? He picks up the 200 wins, been around forever, been on a world, couple of World Series teams, and then you know you've he, he's he's not statistically all that great. So so the case will be really interesting when we get down to to discussing it in five or so years when he finally does retire. But uh, no, this is a a long career that's kind of. You know, he's been a, a thorn in my side and as an NL Central pitcher for his entire career. And it's, uh, you know, one of those things that I'll, I'll always hate him. I'll never respect him, but he's he's been Therefore, he's been pretty dang good because yeah, you don't hate guys who stink. Yeah, he um he might have that like Jack Morris backdoor gets in because of the Veterans Committee type thing going on there. But right. You just remember, I mean, in the his first postseason at age 24, he was the you know, the closer for the Cardinals that yeah. won the World Series, and crazy. you know had a you know four saves and a zero ERA in the playoffs. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's definitely something. It's, it's annoying in my end, but it's definitely something. Yeah. Also, what one other last thing to point out on Adam Wainwright, um, he was one of the better hitting pitchers. Um, yeah. I think he's won a couple Silver Sluggers, and he's hit several home runs actually he's hit 10 home runs in his career too which yeah, obviously well. we don't see that anymore but um you know it's, i thought it was kind of a fun thing to look at yeah it was i'm glad the dh is here <laughs> <laughs> remember when he blew out his achilles at like age 36 oh man that was awful yeah uh, so before we jump to kind of looking at the, the division races and that stuff real quick, you've heard us talk a lot about Royce Lewis and him hitting grand slams so far this year. Well, he hit another one this week. That's five career grand slams and 276 plate appearances. Um, I was just for chits and giggles a little bit earlier. I was looking at, you know, where he ranks on the active list. Um, and he is tied with, Guys like Nolan Arenado, Jose Abreu, and Ozzy Albies for career Grand Slams already, and he's like one behind Mookie Betts, who has six. Like, and he's has two hundred and seventy six major league plate appearances so far. Like, it's he has what's that stat I sent the other day? It's like five Grand Slams, five outs, and like two walks or something like that um, in his major league career. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Yeah, no, it's five Grand Slams, five outs, and two singles. With his career with the bases loaded so far, that's disgusting. 
They need to yeah. pull it Joe Madden with him. I, yeah. <laughs> if anybody needs to be intentionally walked with the bases loaded, yep. it's Royce Lewis at this yep. point. Um, but yeah, just just wanted to mention that one again because we've, we've kind of talked about it here, but it's a nice little follow-up and, and kind of looking at what he's been able to do so far in such a short amount of time. I really want to see if he can get a full season under his belt. I, th- that guy might be – I mean, he was drafted first overall, wasn't he? Or he was in the top five. He yeah. he was a high draft pick by the Twins a few years ago, and they signed Carlos Correa to a big money was... contract, and he is covered for Correa's butt this season. And you know the the Twins are going to go win the AL Central. They're going to make the playoffs. Royce Lewis is going to get maybe Grand Slam opportunity in the playoffs. Yeah. He oh. he was the number one overall pick. Seventeen. Yep. yep. And he he's kind of forgotten about because he dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, yeah, it, so I really hope he gets a full season. Yeah, he's he's, he's dealt with a lot right in the now. majors. Oh yeah, yep. yep. Came up in what like in his first week, tore his ACL or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean it's been he, he's had a rough time of it, but he's uh, yeah. definitely starting to make the most of it now. Yeah. Uh, so quick little bit because we only got what two weeks until the end of the season or something. So uh, kind of just want to glance at the way the races are, the close races at least. Um, uh, we mentioned the AL East earlier, Baltimore and Tampa Bay, they both clinched their, their playoff spots. That's a two and a half game gap. I believe Baltimore just won two or three or something from Tampa Bay this weekend. Two out of, they split a four gamer. Okay. Two, so two, two. Yep. Two, two. Um, so th- that one's close. Um, the AL West, you have Houston has a game and a half lead over Seattle and Texas. Uh, all of those teams have kind of been struggling. Seattle got swept over the weekend by LA. Uh, Texas got swept by Cleveland over the weekend. And Houston, I think, lost two out of three to, to Kansas City. Is that what you were saying earlier, Matt? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of in the AL side. And then looking at the AL wild card real quick. Um, it's really going to be a race be- between four teams for three spots. We already said Tampa's in. but um, Or actually, I guess it's two teams for three spots. Or three teams. I don't know how to math. Uh, Toronto, Seattle, and Texas are all in it, and they're all separated by a game apiece. Yeah, three teams for two spots. Yeah. What? No, <laughs> two teams for three spots. David, get it right. And oh, the, okay. the Blue Jays right now are winning tonight. The Rangers are losing to the Guardians, I believe is who it was, and the uh, Astros are losing. Red Sox. The Red Rangers Sox. losing the, the Red Sox. losing to the Orioles. Yeah. So definitely, um, you know, it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, pretty and crazy Seattle's right got there. Seattle's yeah, got, Seattle's got Oakland, so they could game. Get they, they will likely gain a game on on Houston if they win tonight, and and the Houston score holds. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of time left in those games though. So you know, the the AL side of this is is down to to the the close, you know, the last bit, it's going to come down to, you know, these, these teams performing. And if I had to pick one team that isn't going to make it of those three, I, I think I'm going Rangers, but that's, there's no base on that. I, I don't know. The Rangers have just had so much bullpen problems. They, they I think yeah. they've blown nine saves in the that's last crazy. 12 attempts. Well, and, and worth mentioning that they've now lost Max Scherzer for the year. Yeah. Um, with his uh, strained Trace major muscles, so that's also another thing. And he looks very unlikely for the playoffs if they were to make it um, per their GM Chris Young. So, um, you know, they've dealt with the injuries on the pitching side and the the rough bullpen lately. Um, although Jordan Montgomery has been a real bright spot since uh, since acquiring him, but yeah, um, that's a it's a really really 
close race here in the American League. And um, it's going to be fascinating to see these three teams kind of battle it out uh, for the two spots there. Uh, and then jumping over to the uh, National League side, all the divisions are pretty much figured out. Atlanta's already clinched the NL East. Uh, the Dodgers clinched the NL West this weekend. Milwaukee has a six-game lead over the Cubs for the Central, so it's pretty much that those three are going to be the the division winners. I mean, there's still technically a chance, um, but the real the real race here is in the wild card. You got uh, Philadelphia's four games up. Looks like they're going to have one of those wild card spots, and then Arizona, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Miami are all separated by a game, and then San Francisco is two games back. Um, and then outside shot of with San Diego here at five and a half games back, but really it's the battle between those, what, five, six teams for two spots kind of pretty much. And the Cubs reds and Marlins are all tied right now for the last wild card. Uh, cause the Marlins just had a walk off win. So and the reds are probably going to lose tonight too. They, they were, they're down like seven to nothing, but yeah. Uh, the Cubs is still real early in the game. I think the Cubs are up, but it's early. So uh, definitely interesting stuff. Uh, you know, the Braves obviously clinching, you know, very early was a big deal. They actually lost four games in a row. It actually had an effect on the playoffs because I believe the Braves had their hangover this weekend. And that happened to coincide with playing the Marlins, who are right in the thick of the, you know, this wild card race. So the Marlins actually swept the Braves over the weekend and really got themselves back in it. They're honestly the only team out of all these that seems to really want, and them and the Diamondbacks, that seem to really want to make the playoffs because everyone else just decided to start sucking in both leagues in the wild card race. So um, the, and, and then the congrats to the Dodgers on their clinching as well. They, um, both the Braves and the Dodgers will probably rest some play. I know the Dodgers have rested uh, Betts and, and Freeman a couple times. The Braves had a little bit of an injury scare with Acuna, but they've rested him. That that, that type of stuff is going to continue for both of those teams, and uh, the Brewers are not far behind them. So, yeah, I was going to say the Dodgers might have a direct effect on this wild card race yep. as well because they have seven games left with the Giants. Yeah, a four game series starting on Thursday at home, and then a three game series to end the season in San Francisco. So, if I if I know anything about the Dodgers, though, they they just want to win all of those games, <laughs> knock the Giants out. <laughs> I mean, sure, they do, but also the way that they've been playing with Freeman and Betts and trying to give him a little bit more rest, um, you know, down the stretch, it's normally how they do things. It could have a direct effect. One way or the other, they're going to have a direct effect there. They're either going to knock the Giants out or the Giants are going to play themselves into the playoffs there. So um, that's going to be a pretty big one. But Yeah. I, I'm not a fan, fan of how the Cubs have been playing. Obviously, uh, they have really fallen off here lately, and it's last just last week. Matt and I were talking about it. And Matt said, "Oh, he's pretty confident about it," and they gave the whole lead up uh, that they had in a week. So, yeah, not yes. not a great run there for the Cubs. They've they've performed very poorly. That's what happens when you play two and eight over your last ten games. Yeah, so not a good not a good time for the bad stretch. Not a yeah. good time. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to players of the week real quick and wrap this episode up. Go ahead and start with David. So who do you got for your player this week? You know, with a, a young player getting op- you know, playing time opportunity on a playoff hungry team, a uh, player who is a really good defensive center fielder, uh, you know, fast guy stealing a lot of bases. That's Johan Rojas. Uh, I didn't even heard of this guy until today, actually. And, and, He's playing center field for the Phillies. 
uh, heard of him because a lot of people are comparing him to what the Cubs are not doing with Pete Crow Armstrong, which is they're, the Phillies are letting Johan Rojas, who's a 22-year-old you know, prospect coming straight up from double-A, they're just letting him hit at the major league level. They're giving him opportunities. He's making the most of it. This week he's got, uh, let me get the exact numbers for you, a four- 100 average, 429 on base. He's got three steals. He's got a 700 slugging percentage, 200 WRC plus. He's playing good center field defense. You know, he's a little spark for this Phillies lineup. That's that's really needed it. It's very much a lineup of mashers. Um, and having a guy who can just kind of grind out the base hits, get on base, play good defense, especially with the corner outfielders that they have, uh, it's, that's a huge, huge thing for the Phillies, especially with Brandon Marsh out. It's just massive. So, you know, with with the Phillies right now, you know, we, we mentioned that they're kind of, cl- you know, close to getting in, you know, because they're four games up right now. Big part of that is because this guy's been able to come in and, and put together an, an over 100 WRC plus with center, good center field defense over the last month or so. Uh, Matt, who's your player of the yeah. week? Yeah, Johan Rojas was, was a good pick there. Um, the guy I picked this week, he led the majors in home runs over the past week. Um, also, he, he typically leads the majors in batting average. Luis Arias. Luis, yes, you heard that right. He hit four home runs this week, um, <laughs> which he's hit 10 on the season. And he hit two of them in one game. Um, so definitely a good time for Luis Arias to have a the best week of his season. Um, as he, you know, he, 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 he hadn't really scuffled, scuffled in the second half. But obviously, he you know, he's no longer hitting like 400. So he's just he, he people are going to look at it and say he's scuffled, but I'm pretty sure he still put up like fine numbers. It just hasn't been the insane 400 batting average they had in the first half. But he, um, you know, over the past week he hit, uh, you know, he, he hit 452 uh, with a 452 on base because he doesn't walk and an 871 slugging. Um, you know, that's a 257 WRC plus. That like I said, the four homers was was pretty impressive. Um, you know, and he's kept the, you know, kept the Marlins in it. Uh, it does sound like he had a little bit of an injury scare to de- tonight and did not play in the game, which since that's such an important game, I, for them, every game is important for them right now. I imagine it's probably not precautionary. So hopefully he's back in there tomorrow and it was just uh, something, you know, maybe he can, he can come back from quick, but uh, definitely not a good sign. And, um, but he's been, you know, they, they need him and cause he's been really good lately. Yeah, it's wild that Luis Arias hits four homers in one week. <laughs> like, yeah, you'd be surprised if he hit four homers in a year and then he hits them in in one week. There, it's uh, uh, it's really weird. And hopefully, he's not too injured there. I know it sounded like a sprained ankle, um, or at least a, a rolled ankle there that was bad enough for him to get pulled out of the lineup. So, hopefully, it's nothing major there because you know, like we've been talking about there in that 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 uh, wild card hunt, but. Uh, the guy that I went with this week, it's Fernando Tatis Jr. I typically seem to do this thing. I, I pick somebody that's good that week that I want to mention that I don't feel like we've talked about much in the year. Uh, and I don't feel like we've really talked about how solid of a season Tatis has had. It's not the great seasons what we saw him have before. But one big thing that he has done this year that I feel has really went under the radar, he's became a like very, very good defensive right fielder. Um, you know, switched there. He switched to left field last year. Um, or not last year, but it, earlier in, 
what can I say? Earlier, the plan was for him to switch to left field. They moved Juan Soto to left field. Tatis went to right field. It was a learning adjustment there. But if you look at it now, per if you look at his uh, his uh, baseball savant page, his outs above average, 96th percentile. Arm value, 95th percentile. Arm strength, 99th percentile. Like, he's actually become a really good defensive outfielder. Defensive value on fan graphs, 9.2 so far this year. Like, he's having a really under-the-radar season defensively and he's still been pretty solid at the plate 25 homers 27 steals 264 average you know 466 slugging that's a pr- you know it's lower aside from for uh for tatis but he's dropped his strikeout rate the last time in 2021 he had 28 percent and he dropped it he's down to about 22 percent or under that this year still a 119 wrc plus almost five wins above replacement this year while playing 130 games because obviously he had to serve the rest of that suspension but you know, he, he had a really good week this week too. 417, 500, 750 slugging, 239 WRC plus, couple homers, six RBIs, couple stolen bases. Um, so really good week, but I, I, we really haven't talked about how solid of a season he's had coming back from the suspension, the shoulder injury, the motorcycle accident, and then also switching positions. He, he leads the majors in defensive run saved, uh, off going off of your, you know, what you were saying. So, yeah, there you That's go. Crazy. Yeah, for a guy who was considered not like a good yeah. defensive shortstop either. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it it seems like right field, even even though it's not as premium of a position, he's so good at it that it really makes his defensive value higher in right field than it would have been at shortstop. Yeah, it's insane. So, like I uh, like I said before, we only have a couple weeks left in the season. Um, what two weeks from this last Sunday? So. Um, really coming down to it, but uh, anything else that you guys want to wrap up on before we head out? Um, the one thing I, I do want to mention uh, that Ronald Acuna Jr. is one home run away from forty forty now, or actually forty sixty, which might end up being forty seventies. Three stolen bases away from seventy. So, uh, but forty forty is a club that has been a very wild, wildly, you know popular milestone uh there's only been four players i believe that have hit 40 home runs and stolen more than 40 bases in the same season uh, and uh ronald acuna jr is one home run away from from in from uh getting to that club so uh you know that and, and then you know some others i know freddie freeman could get 60 doubles which is uh a record as well uh or not a record but i think it was the first time it would happen since like the 1930s or something so there's some milestones out there to be had over this last week in addition to all the obvious playoff uh implications of the of a lot of games over this past week so uh definitely some lot to look forward to it's going to be a really fun couple weeks of baseball and uh it, it's going to be it's down, we're down to it it's just a couple weeks left yeah it's uh you know, let's keep a, keep an eye on those playoff races. Um, I'm hoping the Cubs keep it up, but uh, you know, for all the the Miami fans, Reds fans, that, that's exactly what you're going to be looking out for this week. And then the one guy I want to mention is that Bobby Witt might join Acuna in having a 30-50 season this year uh, in terms of homers and stolen bases. He only needs, I think, uh, one more home run and two more stolen bases. So that'll that'll be a wild season to talk about later or at least look back on in a few years yeah another under the radar breakout season that hasn't got much publicity but uh i don't think i have anything that we want to wrap up on you guys pretty much did it so 
Uh, with that being said, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batfoot Podcast, and we'll catch you guys back next week.